Welcome to the third episode of the National Coalition for Dialogue and Deliberation podcast. I'm Courtney Brees. The National Coalition for Dialogue and Deliberation, also known as NCDD, is a network of thousands of innovators who bring people together across divides to tackle today's toughest challenges. This podcast brings together members of the community in conversation about their work, as well as shares resources, tools, and discusses challenges in dialogic practice. In our first series of podcasts, we're featuring conversations that took place at the October 2016 National Conference on Dialogue and Deliberation. The conference brought together 350 innovators in dialogue and public engagement to discuss the opportunities and challenges to bridging the divides in our communities and nation. In this third episode, I speak with Brad Fitch of the Congressional Management Foundation about the work of the foundation, as well as the environment in Washington and the possibilities for incorporating more dialogue into constituent engagement. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your work? Well, my name is uh, Brad Fitch. I'm president and CEO of the Congressional Management Foundation. It's a unique nonprofit. No one uh, really don't have any competition. Mm. Our mission is to build trust and effectiveness in the United States Congress. That's all. Uh, A rather lofty mission that we take very seriously and enjoy. We've been around for 40 years, and most of our mission and most of our work has been built around the, the basic management of both individual congressional offices and the institution. So it's very operational, very transactional. Mm. So we'll do training programs for managers on how to manage, how how to do customer service, how to do performance reviews, the real basics of running these little offices. Also we do institutional research on what the institution, the House and Senate can do from an information technology perspective. And over time, we started to become involved accidentally in citizen engagement. Mm. Uh, Ironically, it wasn't our goal. Originally, in around 2000, 2001, we're looking at the operational challenges the Congress was facing as a result of the internet because it increased citizen engagement, citizen advocacy, Mm -hmm. because the economics of advocacy changed with the internet. You didn't need a postcard. You didn't need a stamp. You need a letter. You can just email for free. And along the way, we started surveying congressional staff on what they wanted from constituents and the association, nonprofit, advocacy, citizen community said, well, we want to know that too. And so we created a program in 2010 and actually altered our mission Mm. to include citizen engagement as part of our mission. So is that we've started to sort of fall into the orbit of the deliberative democracy community. And we like to say we're a little bit just outside the orbit. We're not quite involved in it as Mm -hmm. much as we would like to be. And that's the purpose of of coming here. This is my first conference. I've been on conference calls and I've been in webinars and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But we felt that it was a great opportunity to see what we could learn from this community and see what could be transported to, frankly, the biggest stage in the world, the U.S. Congress, and what we could take from the lessons that have been learned in the 20, 30 years that this this sort of cottage industry has evolved into kind of a five-bedroom colonial industry, I guess, you know, it's it's kind of gotten Mm mid-sized, and what we could learn from it and, uh, and bring to the U.S. Congress and look for ways to bring this inclusive and, frankly, humane way of talking into our national dialogue. Mm. Well, very exciting. I'm glad that we have you here. (laughs) What has, I'm just curious, what has the citizen engagement looked like for you thus far? Well, I've been involved in citizen engagement now for 34 years. Mm -hmm. And if you count my sort of entree, we're working as an intern on Capitol Hill processing letters that citizens sent to Capitol Hill. And that is still is. After voting, 
the most ubiquitous form of democratic dialogue in America. And I know that sounds depressing on some levels because it's such a formal slash almost not inhuman, but it's not a very intimate way of communicating. But that's the number one way people do it. Half mm -hmm. of all voters in the last three years send an email to their congressman or congresswoman. Yes. And that is a big part of what we look at. And right now, what we're trying to do is see how we can improve it, see how we can be helpful, because we are the nexus between the Congress and the citizenry. And so in 2017, a fair amount of our work is going to be about under the, the rubric of modern Congress, modern advocacy, because things really haven't changed significantly in 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. Congress still operates from a workflow standpoint, uh, from a communication standpoint. And so does the advocacy community. Um, most people don't realize that most citizen engagement is facilitated by a third party. You belong to a nonprofit or mm -hmm. you donate to a nonprofit. You work in a company, you join an association and they are the facilitators. They are sometimes called special interests. I, I think that's a derogatory term and it's not fair. I don't think the Boys and Girls Clubs of America mm -hmm. should be considered a derogatory special interest. Mm -hmm. um, and I put them on the same level as the American Petroleum Institute. And I know that sounds weird. And some people want to separate, you know, oh, there's sure. big corporate yeah. world and then there's nice little kids. They all have the same right to petition the government for a redress of grievances and use their First Amendment rights to organize. Mm -hmm. And the better they do it, the better information that Congress gets, the right. better the dialogue, the better public policy decisions that happen. And what most people don't believe or think is that Congress actually wants a better dialogue. You know, these people who are congressmen and women are decent, hardworking individuals. The average work week for a member of the House of Representatives is 70 hours a week. Mm -hmm. That's the mm -hmm. average work week. On a bad week, it could get worse. Right, right. And they don't make these kinds of sacrifices just so they can get yelled at at town hall meetings. They do it because they want to make a positive impact on their society. They want to give something back. And so trying to identify forums using, frankly, methods that have been developed in the deliberative democracy world for now decades would be wonderful gift mm -hmm. to these public servants. And the challenge in looking at all the great ideas and all the wonderful models that have been developed through NCDD members and experts, it, it's just a challenge to port that into our national legislature because the systems sure. are not designed to accept this kind of model. Mm -hmm. In fact, most of the systems are designed to resist it. And so what I've been thinking about at this conference a lot is how do we breach that barrier? Mm. How do we find ways to try out a couple of models, pilot programs? Congress is very good once they see things that are done well. They're like, ooh, I want to try that out. That's yes. really interesting. We learned that when we developed better websites for the U.S. Congress in the early 2000s, where we showed them, look, this is what a website looks like the constituents actually want to go to. This is what they want. Information heavy. Put up your votes. Explain people your positions. Educate them on how the Congress works. And members of Congress, really? That's, oh, that's interesting. I, and so we developed this award system called the Gold Mouse Awards. Mm -hmm. and gave awards and, uh, to members of Congress who did better. They're very competitive beasts up on Capitol Hill. And we found that that was one of the ways we could appeal to them and sure. get them to do better communications to citizens. Now, that's just one, again, very sort of bland. The website isn't the most exciting thing in the world. But it is, again, one of the most likely ways that citizens are going to interact yep, with their absolutely. member of Congress. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wonderful. So I would be curious to hear about any anything you've heard thus far in the conference that you're seeing as possibilities for how 
you know, how can the dialogue and deliberation field help to to bring better citizen engagement to Congress? Well, I've been, gosh, I, I'm, I'm just filled with ideas and I'm going to spend uh, the plane ride back just scribbling out. Sure. Uh, it may be an unfair question. No, it's not. No, no, because it's, it's already, I mean, I can, I can tell you the ones that have been, you know, very powerful. I have, was really struck by Mark Gerzon. And mm-hmm. uh, Mark is someone who I have been told by a number of people, you got to find Mark Gerzon. Mark, for those of you who don't know, was the facilitator for the only bipartisan retreats the United States Congress ever held in the 1990s. He was the designer and the facilitator for it. And he's now written this great book, Reuniting the United States of America. And he did a session on bridges and what a successful bridging looks like. Mm -hmm. And it was a very interesting session. And it teased out a question in me that I'm going to be stuck with for a while is bridges are built on relationships and on strong bonds where they're needed. And we found in one session that the the stronger, the, the wider the divide, the stronger the bridge that's needed. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you can get a bigger divide than we can in partisan politics today. Mm-hmm. So we need a strong bond. But but at the core of that must be trust. And so the question that's been popping in my head that I can't quite figure out, how do you incentivize trust? Can you incentivize it? Can you create a reward system? You know, for all human beings that are motivated by either fear or desire, how do we use that to incentivize trust? Instead of rewarding a member of Congress who screams you lie to the president of the United States during his State of the Union by increasing his campaign coffers by a half a million dollars, mm-hmm. you know, how do we change that equation in our society so that trust is rewarded? Right. And, you know, it's I heard once um, great leaders don't have great answers, but they have great questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great question. And it's one I think we're going to ponder for a while at the Congressional Management Foundation. There's been a lot of work in this space, in the democracy improvement space and the congressional reform space in the last few years. That's really exciting. The Democracy Fund, which was founded by Piero Midyar, who's mm-hmm. the inventor of eBay, has been a great player. The Hewlett Foundation created the Madison Initiative. Mm-hmm. And frankly, they're the only two foundations that are in this space. There's really nobody else. Some other people are dabbling in campaign finance reform. Right. And, you know, if you think I've got a great mountain to climb, good luck with that. That's, you know, <laughs> a huge, huge undertaking and I desperately need in our society. But um, I think that in the democracy reform, congressional reform space, there is actually some real positive dialogue going on on how to create environments and situations where we could have more profiles and courage. Mm-hmm. And, mm. uh they're really looking at it. And there's some really bold ideas that are being tossed around by a variety of people from the left and right. I mean, one of the things that people don't realize in Washington is that Democrats and Republicans, when they get on TV, yell at each other. But then when the cameras are off, they actually tend to work together. Right. And there are a lot of people working behind the scenes in Washington at some really terrific nonprofit organizations like the Bipartisan Policy Center, the Faith and Politics Institute, the Congressional Institute, the Aspen Institute is doing amazing work mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. former Congressman Mickey Edwards and former Secretary of Agriculture Dan Glickman. So there's, believe it or not, there's a little hope on the horizon that <laughs> that that some reform and some positive things are coming. And if there is any silver lining out of this cloud that has been the presidential election, perhaps it's that there is a galvanizing moment in time that people say, 
enough is enough. Yeah. We're going to look at the system. We're going to figure out how to talk to each other. We're going to figure out how to have a dialogue. And I think conferences like NCDD and this conference in particular can be a gathering point. And I don't want to show all my cards, but you know, I definitely interacted with a lot of people here, exchanged ideas on what can be done in our political system. And I think it you know, might be the part of something really big. There's a, there's a new group out that is one of the sponsors here called Bridge Alliance, which the Congressional Management Foundation is a part of. Mm-hmm. And um, David Nivens and the Bridge Alliance are uh, really an exciting possibility. In, in essence, it's kind of a trade association for congressional reform and democracy reform groups. Mm-hmm. And we don't have one right now. I mean, it's just, you know, I, I used to joke, you know, a few years ago when I got into this and people said, well, who's interested in democracy reform and you know, congressional reform in Washington, you couldn't put together a card game. Right. Well, now we could field a softball team. Absolutely. <laughs> and and I'm pretty excited that I'm betting in two years, when I come back to this conference, we'll have an all-male and all-female orchestra ready. I mean, I really think that there's a growing movement to, to fix our political systems and fix our dialogue because I just see the energy going towards it where 10 years ago, it was, you know, a vast wasteland. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly my feeling prior to the conference and, and coming into the conference and, and having conversations um, since then has been the recurring theme I hear is that the time is, it's just right before this. There's such a desire for anything but what we have right now. And this presidential election has been the real catalyst for that conversation. Like, right. This just isn't working for us anymore as just as the people. Yeah. Um, and we need something else. And so it's it's a perfect time and opportunity for those of us who are really wanting to explore and, and try to find a way to to better bridge, particularly these partisan divides that we we see and make it more. More the expectation and more rewarding for our congressmen to come together and, and you know um if if that's if that's what the people want then you know that's what congress should be you know and that, that's our, our hope that we can we can see more of that and then from our perspective at the congressional management foundation we have a very intimate up close behind the scenes look at how congress operates there's this belief on some levels that throw the bums out you know let's get a new crowd in and now yeah. do it well Half of the United States House of Representatives was elected since 2010. More than half of the United States Senate are in their freshman term. Yes. You know, we have term limits in America. They're called elections. They're working very fine. Thank you very much. And we don't need to get a new batch of people. I mean, it's a systemic challenge Mm -hmm. that we face. And the Democracy Fund and the Hewlett Foundation have done a wonderful job in sort of mapping out the system and for anybody who wants to look at it you should go to the democracy funds website and Mm -hmm. look at their governance maps and their journalism maps because they they examine the political system like you would a weather system and saying what are the factors what are the ebbs and flows what are the pressures that are putting on different players in the system and i was very proud to be part of the dialogue that helped produce those maps and think that the leaders at Democracy Fund have done just a wonderful job, wonderful gift for those people who want to delve into it because they really, I think, got it right. Mm. And and their blogs on this are, are really, I mean, it's way more accurate than you're going to get from the New York Times and the Washington Post. Sorry, I love my friends in journalism, but they, you know, they're spending five, 10 minutes with members of Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, and the media really doesn't cover the Congress. It covers the congressional leadership. Right. And what broader examinations of Mm -hmm. our Congress will show is something more revealing, something on some levels more challenging, on other levels, 
reason for optimism, because when you do look at the people that are part of the system, they're actually good people. One of the great things that uh, was written in a blog by the Democracy Fund's Betsy Wright Hawkins is that you first have to start with the notion that when you're dealing with the Congress, they have a servant's heart. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful phrase. And that's exactly true, that that is who most of the members of Congress are. Now, indeed, does the American public occasionally send to Congress the rather cad criminal, dare I say, wiener? Yes. Americans are very good about selecting them and occasionally sending them and they're wonderful late night talk show fodder. And, yes. and, and <laughs> the reason why we have Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR. Mm. But most of them are really start with a servant's heart. They start with this dedication to public service. Mm-hmm, and um, mm-hmm. they're just trapped in a system where the incentives are not to collaborate, not to cooperate. And, and there are villains in the system, too. I'm not going to name names, but there are forces, there are nonprofits, there are groups who are right now with business models designed to divide mm. and to cause havoc and to disincentivize cooperation. You know, there are parties at the Republican National Committee and Democratic National Committee who say with bold defiance to their own members of Congress, no, don't cooperate with the other side. We want to knock them off in the next election. That's their job. That's their business model is to defeat Republicans or defeat Democrats. Mm -hmm. How do you wrestle with that? Right. I don't don't know how well the answer is, but I think those are some of the important questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think you just gave us an important reminder, which is that there's a lot of very well-meaning congressmen and women who have a strong desire to represent their constituents and help to bring the country into a better place. (laughs) Um, And that we need to remind ourselves sometimes that that's, that there are lots of those people. It sounds like you're suggesting that perhaps the system is one of the major problems that Mm -hmm. we have to, to try to tackle. Yeah. Hmm. This podcast was produced by the National Coalition for Dialogue and Deliberation. The episode was recorded and edited by Ryan Spencer. Special thanks to Barbara Simonetti for her support of this initial series. Get involved in this community by going to ncdd.org slash getinvolved or learn more at ncdd.org. Thanks for listening to this episode. Please share your thoughts in the comments or on social media using hashtag ncdd.